Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. Welcome to part three, I think, of our season reviews, and it's going to be the Red Bulls that we're talking about today. So the four Red Bull cars and the five Red Bull drivers and Alpine as well. I don't think we're going to have time to get to McLaren, but if you're listening, I just want you to know that I think you're one of the best ones. And actually, our listening hasn't dropped off that much towards the end of the season. Normally, there's quite a kind of a, a dip as the season ends. But this year, it does feel like, I think as we got to the end of the regular racing, if you were still hanging around by the time you got to Mexico and Brazil, then you were going to hang around into the off-season as well. Only the hardcore fans lasted until the end of 2023. And that includes you. All right, then. Let's crack on. But not before I remind you that we're an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed. With the kind permission of our better halves, we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed. Oh, we're lucky we don't have stupid Chris anymore. We've got Matt Trumpets back. Hey, Matt. Everyone gets bitterballin', herring, and stroopwafflin'. I, you've just been to Amsterdam. Are you just saying European things? No, it's because we're going to talk about Red Bull, the best of the best of the best, sir. Nice. And they finally arrived. They've been very good this year, haven't they? They really have. And we are joined in the shed by MotoGP podcast host, Kyle Edgy Power. How's it going, Kyle? Very good. And a bit tired after doing my very own McLaren last night, which was a 
a wobbly start to the evening, <laughs> okay in the middle, and a bit too good and strong at the end, going all the way to six o'clock this morning. Kyle, I have tried to tell you, nothing good happens after midnight. Be honest, the <laughs> best part of the evening was until about half ten, and then it's all a messy blur. Very much over the uh, five, six pipe market starts to get a bit hazy after that. And somebody who's now on their second drinking session of the day, it's uh, test driver Brad Philpott. How's it going, Brad? I am here to provide the perspective of the majority of the listeners, I imagine, who are trying to make the memories of this season fade so we can look forward to a better one coming up. So what I'm what I'm saying is I haven't done deep research into <laughs> these teams okay. because I would have forgotten it already. Right. My memory is Fair terrible. Yeah. So I'm going to come at this, I'm going to attempt to come at this from the perspective of someone who watched everything but hasn't specifically gone into detail since the season. That's okay because Matt's done painstaking notes and statistics that no one's read or paid attention to. I'm completely famous for my pointless, useless, and entirely entertaining statistics. You, you can tell how much of the show notes I haven't got to by how increasingly upset Matt looks on the live stream. Uh, so, Brad, we should be clear on this because, you know, we're going to get the YouTube comments. Like, you and I, you mostly, are seen as people who, who hate Verstappen and, and hate Red Bull. And we do get quite a lot of feedback, you know, to, to that. So I'm never actively going, right, I'm going to do a character assassination on, on Red Bull or Max Verstappen. I think I genuinely come from a point where I, I call out the things I like and don't like, but Red Bull do a lot of the things I don't like. So I sort of understand why it comes across like I don't like Red Bull because I comment negatively about the things they do that I don't like. I definitely wouldn't use the word hate from my perspective. Um, I don't hate... Oh, no, actually, maybe Red Bull themselves, the, the senior management, maybe that is appropriate, but... I don't hate Max. I, I just think um, I get branded that way because any time you don't specifically praise certain teams or drivers for things which you might not agree with or maybe even criticise them, that gets taken as hate um, and you're labelled a hater by some people. So, And as you said, if I'm consistently criticising a certain team, it's not because I have anything against that team. It's because they're the ones doing the thing. And yeah, yeah. so there we go. That's my defence. If You're Williams right. did all the things that Red Bull did, I would probably end up speaking more negatively about Williams. You know, I'm not specifically in, in one camp or the other. And I, and I do like, you know, Red Bull. You, you remember the olden days, Kyle, that they came over, they, they took over from Stuffy Jaguar and they were the party team of the paddock. Yeah, they were the uh, the plucky sort of underdogs coming in. Uh, they brought a new sort of uh, vibrancy to the pit lane, like blaring out the loud music and stuff like that. And they were very... Yeah, I think everyone was sort of cheering them on and wanted them to do well. And it was only when they sort of really got successful and started winning and then started these sort of uh, starting the uh, the trend of smeary press tactics against yeah. your rivals, which is where I think a lot of people started going off them a bit. But but yeah, I read the original Red Bull running, running yeah, a modified old Jaguar car with DC on it, scoring points, I think, in the first race. Brilliant. I was super chuffed that day. Yeah, I, um, I have to say I have to be a lot of my newsfeed, Brad, is filled with, uh, you know, people going at you. Um, I had someone say I was wrong for blocking people. And so I blocked him. Then he did another account. And he said, block this one, then I can do this all day. And he did it four more times and then gave up. Yeah, it's much quicker to block someone than it is to set up a new <laughs> account. Um, so I, I don't see really any of that negativity because I am quite 
um, trigger happy on the old block button. So I think I've curated a nice echo chamber of people who don't... Who, it's just an echo chamber of people who... It's not even echo because it's, it's people who aren't having a go at me. It's just... Yeah. It's a silent echo chamber where I'm not getting abused. So okay. I'm quite happy with that. And, and I'm also nice about everyone. And I, I posted a thing about Muppets today. My Twitter is mainly Muppet Christmas Carol at the, <laughs> at moment. the moment. At the moment. Okay. But at the moment, the, the overwhelming thing has been the utter dominance of Red Bull. So I think let's, let's talk about it from a tech point of view, Matt. Why on earth was that so, so dominant because it wasn't it wasn't even like 2013 when when Vettel well, that's the last time we saw that level of one driver one car dominance he was just so far ahead in 2013 that he could choose the gap and I think maybe it's it's a little bit of a mentality difference between Verstappen and Vettel whereas Vettel might have taken the team line to go okay just get one pit stop ahead and then chill there whereas uh, Verstappen you know he he needed the he needed that the fastest lap every time he needed to get ahead and really show it. So it could be that other teams have been this dominant in the past, but it, it's really Verstappen going, nope, I, I want to crush you. Uh, he did. And he had the very best tool on the grid to do it with. And I think the thing about the Red Bull dominance that, and, and I, this goes back to the first year of these regulations, they came out with their first update. And what they said was, wow, that, worked exactly like we predicted, which almost never happens. But most people, or I won't even say most people, what some people may not know is that when you run stuff in CFD, when you put things in the wind tunnel, there's an awful lot of math that goes on to make it look like what they think is going to happen on the track when they put the full-size part on the car. And to have it line up perfectly is a terrible thing for everyone that was chasing them. Yeah, that's super, super ominous for the rest of the seat. Uh, well, regulation the rest of, uh, <laughs> yeah, the rest of this regulation set, really, because, uh, yeah, that means a correlation. We hear this word correlation a lot, and it's getting, as Matt just said, it's all of the CFD data, their, their wind tunnel scale model. Obviously, they don't put a full car size into the wind tunnel. That would be obscenely expensive. So they have a scale model. Obviously, that they need to then translate that over to real life. And, the the, the yeah, the scary thing is, is, They've taken it straight from there, put it on the car, and it's worked. It, it's worked exactly as expected. So that's not only good for this car. They have mentioned at the end of the season that they're going to they're going to do a bit of an overhaul. So that means that they can maybe do some slight concept tweaks and some slight tweaks and experiment loads with a very good level of confidence that they're not wasting resources, and that just gives them way more options for next year. So it you'd be hard pushed not to think that they're only going to get stronger from here. Okay, but the reason they're changing most of the components is because they're giving them to Alpha Tauri. Is was my understanding. We'll get to Alpha Tauri, Matt. Well, and just to follow up on that, what Kyle is saying and what I hear Red Bull saying between the lines is they started with a very neutral concept that they could set up at a lot of different races and that they felt would work very well across a wide variety of circuits in this regulation set. And they were the only team that got it all the way right. Some teams got it very wrong. But I think what I hear them saying is we are coming to the easily bought gains of the concept we started with. And we've been thinking about it. And you'll notice that the Red Bull margin was shrinking in the second half of the season. And now some of that will have been the penalty, but a lot of it will have been them seeing this 
the end of the easy, the low-hanging fruit, I like to call it, and saying, okay, we're going to have to update our chassis. We're going to have to, we're going to have to change some more major structural stuff to get to that next level. And this is happening just at a time when you have Ferrari and Mercedes really beginning to understand what they've been up to and potentially McLaren too, mm. coming with a car that might be able to chase the Red Bull they're finishing the season with. But the question is, how accurate are they going to be with the Red Bull they bring to us next testing, so which it, is what, February? It's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it is a risk again. Like People shouldn't yeah. think that, that Red Bull are, aren't themselves taking a risk. If, yeah, if it was completely static and other teams weren't developing, then... You know, you'd go, okay, well, it's cemented in. And people get a little bit bogged down saying, well, it's, it's the regulation set. We're, we're locked in to this regulation set. But let, let, let's have a hypothetical. If Red Bull had to start with the car they had in the first third of the season, would you expect them to come out dominant again? And the answer is probably not. So three or four teams in 2024 will probably beat the start of the 2023 Red Bull car. So Red Bull's got some work to do it's not like in the bag in the bag but brad's looking less am i being a sweet summer child i just think that's a bit optimistic i think if red bull started the season next year with this year's car at the beginning of the season it would okay maybe not quite as dominant i still think it would be clearly the best i don't i don't trust that the teams the other teams are going to have caught up to the extent that red bull were already ahead um maybe i'm just being a massive pessimist but that car seemed pretty sorted from the absolute outset. And even if anyone comes with a car that is potentially quicker when fully optimised, it won't be fully optimised at the start of the season. So I, I'm pretty, I have a lot of trust in the strength of the current Red Bull yep. concept. Unfortunately, you know, for you, for you, for, you, not for, them to win. for us neutrals, it's, um, it doesn't matter, but that's, that's the thing, isn't it, Matt? They have got such a, a stable platform that like the other teams aren't even at zero. They're not even at that good baseline yet. That whereas whereas Red Bull have been at that baseline for a couple of seasons now with this concept. And they just they are just flying, aren't they? Yeah. I mean really the only thing that could undo them at this point is the same kind of uh mathematical or simulation failure that affected Mercedes when they came to the start of this regulation set, that they go in a direction that their tools don't show them the problems with, and then they're stuck with it for a whole season trying to put Band-Aids on it. And mm. as Brad says, that's not the most probable outcome in this scenario. Hmm. Okay. Uh, no no blind hope, Kyle? Come on, Kyle. You know uh, how I like blind hope. Well, and, and, and to quote Paul DeResta, for the good of the sport, not because I support any particular driver <laughs> or team. Uh no, look, they absolutely nailed this concept from the scratch and they are reaping the the rewards of their own work. I mean, the way that everyone keeps describing it is as if it's, you know, they've kind of done a bad thing and they've sort of lucked into this, which they they haven't. They have mm. done an amazing job. They have nailed the concept as much as we, I personally don't like the senior management's press games. I take my hat off to the team because it's just incredible what they're doing mm. on the engineering front. The whole team is on every level is operationally unbelievable. And we haven't seen this for like a while, but going into next year, they know they cannot get complacent. They cannot take a risk. They cannot get complacent. Cause I just said, we saw other teams catching up and especially with Mercedes now, probably just going to copy Red Bull 
somewhat and go their own route. Red Bull now going to have to move the game on. So yes, they've had this penalty to deal with. They've got a good platform. I still expect them to be to be really good, but I don't think they're going to be as dominant. People, all the other teams now are cottoning on. And I think this year was exasperated by the fact that a lot of the other teams dropped the ball. I think you know, Mercedes, Ferrari did a particularly bad job as well this season. So that's just you know, aggravated the situation, so to speak. So with Ferrari maybe sort themselves out with Mercedes maybe <laughs> sort themselves out and if and and if Aston can keep this momentum yeah. going with McLaren then it yeah I'm not getting all sort of doom filled for next year oh, yeah. yet let's see what happens okay. but I definitely think they will be pegged back a bit I think this year was pretty exceptional case of everyone else dropping the ball and them absolutely nailing it so loads and loads of quotes coming out from Ferrari I think it was Luke Smith who went and did an interview with uh, Fred Vasseur so there's loads of uh, Fred Vasseur quotes doing the rounds today and one of them was oh yeah we went into 2023 with too high expectations but but this year it will definitely definitely I think we will make huge gains and Carlos Sainz is saying the improvement that uh, McLaren have made kind of shows you what is possible by changing your concept so Please, please, Ferrari fans, definitely get your hopes up because Ferrari cosplaying as potential title contenders at the start of every season, it gets me through February. I don't know if I could get through February without it, but they are launching their new car on February the 13th, on Valentine's Day Eve. So the the Tifosi can have love and hope for February the 14th, Matt. Yeah, and that will eventually evaporate as it almost certainly does every year. Although entertainingly, I will say, thank goodness for Ferrari and Mercedes being bad at their job because it did give us a lot to talk about this season. (laughs) But I have a question for you. Would you like me to read numbers at you? Oh, please. This is why we've missed him. I knew it. I have taken it upon myself to try and quantify how much better Red Bull was than all of the other teams. And I did this very simply by figuring out how much the highest scoring driver had to be multiplied by to equal Max's score. That seemed like a fair way to go about it. So we'll start with Mercedes, which I found to be the closest, is 2.44. And you stay in the twos till you get down to Alpine, which was 9.46. And then we fall off a real cliff. And this to me is the interesting thing. Like, where's the bottom of the grid in relationship to Red Bull? How far away are they? Williams, 21.2 times it took to get Albin's score to Verstappen. Alpha Tauri, 37.86. Alpha Romeo, 53. And then good old Haas, 88.33 times as bad as a Red Bull. Okay, Kyle, if this is more numbers, I'm going to veto. No, but that just goes and highlights and just backs up my point of Red Bull absolutely smashed it this season. They are the only grid, they are the only team on the grid that doesn't have a turd in their hamper. Everyone else has a black mark on, on their in the Christmas hampers and what they've done this year and Red Bull, the only team that don't. So it just makes that gap appear wider than it actually is. I would swear Kyle said coal in the stocking, right? Oh, uh, uh, yes, that. Um, and just in case it's not obvious to everyone, Matt's figures are skewed by the fact that there is a disproportionate gap between uh, for the points that you get yes. between each position. Um, is that right, Matt? The and actually, that actually, my, my way of, of of pointing to that would be the the, the teams at the rear. It's it's unfair because they can have a blinding day and they go from zero points to to zero points. So, but I, I think the point is well taken. It, it's the level of 
dominance of Verstappen in that car. So that leads us to the very natural question, which Brad is going to upset me. I'm a Perez fan, right? Brad's going to up, you know, try and upset me. But, you know, why was that gap so big? And it's been talked about all season. You know, the debate is, what is the car made for Max? There was a really interesting interview with Alex Albon. I don't know if you caught that one. Apologies, I can't remember who. Used to- oh, yes, I do. He was talking on the High Performance podcast with Jake Humphrey. And that's the podcast because a lot of people don't think about just working hard. Just sell your Porsche. Yeah, just sell, sell your Porsche. Um, just, just follow your dreams. Just like invite the universe to give you stuff. Um, but it was a very good interview. And Alex Albon was talking about how it was very sensitive. So maybe, Brad, you, you could make some more sense of this. He was basically saying it was like having your mouse on high sensitivity and trying to click on things around the screen. And, the, and that's why he was really struggling and losing his, his confidence. So, like, I, I, I can't visualise in my head, you know, what that feels like or why a car would be like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I can visualise it. Obviously, I, mm. I don't have a very strong uh, mental image of what it's like to drive a Formula One car because I've never driven one. But you yet. are a race car maybe, driver. Maybe soon. Oh, yes, um, you might be driving. But you have yeah. driven single-seaters. You've driven a lot yes. of, you know, race cars. Yeah, absolutely. I can relate to the fact that certain car characteristics can work for one driver and not work for another and you can provide the drivers with on the face of it identical machinery both of the cars that have been provided are capable of winning the race say or doing a certain lap time and one driver who is good in certain situations just cannot access the same level i think quite a a good way of looking at this is if you were to take max for example with his current skills and put him in a sim race against most of the grid in formula one he would be even further ahead, probably, of most of them. Norris will be, I imagine, quite close because Norris is very, very good on the sim too. But it's it's because he is feeling things and uh, able to translate the information that the vehicle or the sim in that um, situation is giving him that the others aren't, or able to control that machine, sim, car, whatever, um, in a way that the others aren't based on the information provided. And maybe that explains Perez's gap. But... The problem you have, or the problem Perez has in this situation is, if that is the characteristic of a fast, modern Formula One car, then it doesn't matter that maybe if you set the scenario up differently, he would be able to um, you know, uh, make the most of more of his skill and be closer. That isn't the situation we have. The, the current situation in modern Formula One seems to be that that concept and a car that is mm. that has those traits is the fastest it's the fastest approach and max is able to deal with it and access more of it and win more and perez i think even being really really kind to him and giving him a lot of benefit of the doubt because everything i've just said there might not be why he was far off it might just be that he is simply not remotely as good and he was often behind much much worse cars and several other drivers that he shouldn't have been before we just get into too much perez slander i did go back and look at this the um the racing point stats from 2020 and honestly he didn't have a much worse season in the racing point than he had in this car like it it was almost better if you look at the back half of the season he was almost better off driving in the in the racing point so like something has clearly happened to him and Albon was giving that interview saying well I'm not feeling that now I'm much more comfortable at, at Williams but as to Brad's point it could be because the Williams isn't capable of getting to the state where where it is difficult to drive. Sorry, Carl, I know you've been waiting. Brad and then Carl. 
But Perez is also at the stage in his career and at an age where it'd be way harder to adapt to a changing sport, a changing formula than it would be for the younger drivers who have fewer seasons in certain types of car behind them. You know, think of all the types of car that Perez has driven over his career. He will have developed his kind of core skill around totally different cars. And you can make that same argument about Alonso or Hamilton and say, well, they, they seem to be able to adapt to the current style. But then I'd counter with, yeah, but they're clearly much better drivers than Perez. Yeah. One of the major jobs for a racing driver, and Brad is exactly sort of right, is to be adaptable and is to get the best with what the tools that you actually have. And this is not a unique thing in F1. We have seen this over the years. The ones that spring to mind for me are the 1995 Benetton, where there was Schumacher dominated in it and his other teammates really struggled to drive it because it was such a difficult car and had to be driven in such a window. Uh, and there was a very interesting interview of one of the top Red Bull engineers, I think back from 2019, explaining how they lost their way in 2018. And that was because they were purely following Max's input and developing the car down this rabbit hole of everything on the front end, which is when an album was trying to drive it. And it becomes super, super difficult to drive. And they admitted that they went too far in listening to Max because he has the talent to extract it and get the most out of it that way. Whereas I said, uh, Hamilton and Alonso will probably adapt themselves to it we saw this in 2012 with mclaren as well where i think in the canadian grubber you had lewis hamilton winning and jensen button being lapped in the same car just because jensen couldn't drive around the issues with the car so so i don't think to take anything away from max i think max has the adaptability and the skill to get the most out of it but i don't necessarily that red bull might be quick but i think it must be a very difficult car to drive in the way that you need to drive it and perez just he just failed to get the best out of it he was better earlier in the season same thing with 2022 when the car's a bit more neutral and they haven't dialed in that front end and he was closer but then you know as a racing driver you need to adapt and get the best out of the well, tools and he that's was, amazing um, why Perez isn't great he's a good driver but right. maybe not a great one of the greats and that's because the greats can get the most out of the situation whether they like driving it that way or not he reportedly wanted to get the car back to the spec it was like at Barcelona mm. where that's the last time he sort of felt happy with it he said um, but that and that's an interesting point in itself which is the team can't bring two sets of spares. No. So it's like, yeah. no. And, and you're in no position once you're that far behind. You're in no position to start really making kind of those those demands. But I, I don't know. Look, where, where's where's Perez in his career? He's He's been kept on for 2024, where you could easily argue that it would be time to be replaced. Red Bull seem happy with him. He, he seems relatively happy. Red Bull did a really great TikTok live. And it was just Perez and Verstappen in a in their garage, I think, where the, a lot of their car parts were. So if anyone caught that, like, they were a, a delight. I think they, they maybe seemed like they'd had a, a liquid lunch. But, you know, they were very, very personable. Perez was being very funny. They clearly seemed to get on well together. So it could just kind of be that it's an outside problem and everyone in Red Bull's kind of vaguely happy. Brad? I also think that it really, as much as this is annoying for the rest of us watching because there's less competition... I think it's just a really sensible thing to have a driver who is clearly a step behind your lead driver. It's This isn't a new thing. I'm not saying anything groundbreaking here, but if, you've, if you're in a championship fight, which they may well be next year, and you don't really care about the constructors because, one, if you're good enough, you're going to be in the hump for that anyway. Like, you know, Max could have easily won that on his own this year. But it just helps to not have drivers taking points off each other. If we are in a situation next season where you've got Red Bull or one of the best cars, but there are other teams who are winning enough that there's actually a championship fight. But both of that other team's drivers are capable of winning and only one of the Red Bull drivers is capable of winning. 
when those cars are at a track that works for them, then Max will be the one scoring all of the Red Bull wins and say Leclerc and Sainz will be sharing and Russell and Hamilton will be sharing. And so it will just, it clearly will work better if you're, if you're trying to win the driver's championship. So I think they just understand that as well as and they don't really care if Perez is, you know, if he can put up with looking a bit silly, you know, and he did look a bit silly this year against Max, then that's that works. It, the problem is the problem most teams have is the number two driver doesn't like to be a number yeah. two or, yeah, yeah. or won't accept it. And I think Perez might have accepted it now, despite what he'll say over the winter, probably. Well, the thing that occurs to me is to think about Mercedes, interestingly, and there was that period of time where Russell was doing very well relative to Hamilton. And Hamilton was like, I'm just missing a thing that I need to drive well. And then they changed the car and suddenly it was Russell who was missing a thing that he absolutely needed to drive the car well. So some of this, it can really just be down to where the Red Bull engineers think the car is fastest overall. And then how easy is it to the, from there to give the driver what they need to extract their maximum performance from the car? I don't think anyone thinks Perez is going to extract the same amount of uh, performance from the car as Max. But you'd think that someone that experienced, especially someone who previously had a reputation as being good on tires, would be able to get closer in terms of percent overall than he did this season. And I think that's that's something Red Bull is aware of and will fix to the ability they can without impeding where Max is. Because I, I think you're right. I think they do like having him around. I think his personality works. I think he works for marketing for the team. And I think whatever the personal relationship between Max and, and Perez is, as teammates, they actually do a good job together. One more small point. Don't overlook the fact that sometimes Perez had to do things to help Max out, which also affects the balance of points that we see at the end of the season. My only point there was, uh, and um, this might be Verstappen you're comparing against, but when Perez was considered good on his tyres, uh, who, who was his teammate? Because I think that might go some way to to explaining why. Um, you know, it's easy to say this driver traditionally, he was a tyre whisperer or whatever, or, or he was really fast if we're talking about someone else. But if their teammate was Lance Stroll or whoever, Ocon, um, not not being mean to Ocon, it's not really the same as being compared against Max, who is just able to do all of those things probably better than almost everyone. My memory of this, which may be inaccurate, so please feel free to write me at mistapex.net at at and tell me how wrong I am about everything because Spanners likes it when do they it, send do it. Yeah. emails. Yeah, please. No, do do me. feedback at mistapex.net and then I'm included That's... and then I can agree and be like, yeah, get him, get him, listener. Uh, but my memory was that he did some very long stints on tires. It wasn't just he was better than his teammate on the tire. It was that he did some some genuinely impressive drives, preserving them. And uh, I don't know, maybe Kyle will back me up here because I see him nodding his head. Yeah, he was a fantastic. I think it would be unfair to call him a midfield journeyman. But I think if he hadn't got into a top team, he would have been gone down and been known as... Yeah, he was like the best midfield driver. He'd drag like midfield cars yeah. to get the odd podium through amazing tire preservation skills. But Banners is right. It's like who's his teammate? You know, like you know, you know, what are we what are we benchmarking him against here? So he is he's famous for getting great results and perennial sort of overachiever in a midfield car. But yeah, 
that doesn't necessarily translate to making the most out of a difficult but fast and dominant well, car, does it, at the front well, of the grid? When you're a, a supporter of a midfield driver, you've, you've, you've kind of got the best of the worlds, really, because there's low pressure. If they're not doing well or the team's not doing well, they kind of disappear on the stream. It's not, it's not there. It's not focused. So having you know, supported Perez from nearly the beginning... And, you know, that shot at McLaren was a little bit painful. But apart from that, it was all pretty good. And, you know, if you're a Hulkenberg fan, you don't want to see Hulkenberg really. You might think you did, but you don't want to see him go up against Leclerc or Verstappen. You'd get the same treatment. And I think Lando Norris fans might be in that kind of same position at the moment as well. Careful what you wish for, because the reports were, Brad, that Lando Norris turned down a shot at a Red Bull seat. And I think that's absolutely the correct thing to do. Yeah, uh, it probably is the correct thing to do. I'm not saying yeah, as in I agree with you. I I <laughs> do think oh, it's a very, very tough one because we've not seen him in this situation enough in his senior career, and I mean Formula One career, to to make a confirmed judgment on this. I think Lando is probably one of the only people capable of being fast enough in the modern world of F1 to go up against Max. But I I haven't seen him with the same mental strength as Max. So we've uh, seen a few of things where he's been like, so for example, was it uh, Sochi where he had a chance at a race win, uh, a recent qualifying where he had the car for pole position? The Sochi thing, I wouldn't count that as as not being mentally strong because that's just uh, an incorrect weather decision. You know, if it went the other, if he'd, if he'd known that it was going to be the wet, the level of rain it was going to be, then he would have made a different decision and he would have won the race. So, that one I'm going to put aside. It's I think maybe it was at Qatar this year where he was clearly on for pole and then threw that away. I've seen a few of those, and I it almost seems like the the Lando Norris competitor in certain pressure moments stops believing in himself as much as it's like he doesn't realise how good he actually is. And I don't know whether that's one of those things that gets put to bed the moment he starts winning, and mm. maybe he then settles down and actually retains that self belief. Or whether that's just a Lando trait. You know, I didn't watch his junior career closely enough to know whether or not he had that as as a youngster. He obviously was super successful, but the only thing he didn't win was Formula 2 on the way up, and that was in the really strong year. But yeah, I, I really want to see Lando Norris. I need to see him <laughs> in his winning phase or in his car that is capable of winning phase to fully judge him on that. I mean, there's a but. few like that, Matt, isn't there? Like, I've always said the same thing about, you know, Lewis Hamilton. He really, he's he rides his emotions. He wears his heart on his mouth. You can kind of, you can see on his face what he's thinking. Um, Leclerc is another one like that that seems to, you know, when things are going wrong. In fact, I think there was even an interview with Lewis Hamilton where he was talking about the struggles of the car and he said he did start to question, well, is it me? Can I just, you know, not not drive cars anymore? Well, yeah, that's a natural thing. I was going to say, Brad, you should go back and watch his F3 season. I think that's the one that you want to spectate on. If you want to see the Lando Norris that you're talking about, that's where he came from. That's where that was the season that made him for the people looking for new Formula One drivers. He did very well in F2, but it wasn't the same. That was your Brussels one, I think. Um, but to me, it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing for him. Because the one thing he had and threw away was a win. And like you say, in certain situations, you begin to wonder, has he got the yips a little bit? Is he got, is this like not even on purpose because no one can really compete with Red Bull, but anytime he gets close, is this a thing 
that's sometimes going to come up for him that other drivers have already managed to get over, even when they're not in as good of cars. Uh, sorry, I know we're on Red Bull, but there, there was one There was one race this year. I'm struggling to remember it, but there was one where he, he sort of had a chance to defend hard against Verstappen coming through, and he, he just didn't. He just opened the door, let Verstappen go through. Then Hamilton was behind, and then he fought Hamilton to the death. Now, you could say, well, that's sensible because no one's on Verstappen's pace, but, you know, maybe there was not that voice in his ear saying, well, do you know what, if you, if you fight for this place, there's, there's a chance something could happen if you keep him behind you, you know, even for a few corners, let Hamilton catch up. Um, but to circle back to Red Bull, the one thing, argument we're missing here from, you know, the dominance is, did Max Verstappen just take a massive leap forward? Now, I'm minded to think, you know, it's not really a coincidence that, the, the, the that gap suddenly appears. When that happens, it's usually down to the car. So I'm a little bit reluctant to get on a, uh, a the stats train that everyone's been doing. Oh, did you know Max has won this many races, which is the most since 18 Dickety 4. Um, he's won the most races in a row since Carl Maxington in the, 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 the M car of 1842. So it, it would be a coincidence, wouldn't it? Um, if he had just suddenly taken a leap up in form, but you know he could be. This could be it. This could be pinnacle Verstappen. I think this is this is we're just seeing a young potential great at the height of his powers now being given the tools to to get these results. And um, I'm seeing it. Remember, like Max is probably one of the first generation of a thorough, born and bred racing driver. His mother was a racing driver. His dad was a Formula Formula One driver. He has been bred. Is, has eaten, slept, and breathed F1, and basically has been created for exactly this for dominating Formula One. And I think he's the first true thoroughbred, you know, from embryo to championship, <laughs> pretty much that that we have had. And I think we are just seeing the results of him now getting into his stride and the height of his powers. We saw this, um, you know, Schumacher at the height of his powers. We thought when 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 Hamilton was in the middle of his Mercedes dominance, well, like, we've not seen anything like this before. And I just think this is probably the next step of that. So so it could be like both. So both things we're saying yeah. is true. So we're looking, we've been talking about Perez, who's being compared to, and Perez is more towards the, the end of his career. And he's had a very kind of different trajectory in F1, where he's kind of been hanging on, fighting back, picking for those results. It's not really a coincidence, is it, that your Schumacher, your, your Vettel, your Hamilton got the best car at the peak of their career. And you you basically, you don't get that best car unless you have been on that journey. Like, it's quite rare that you get a Keke Rosberg championship. Uh, and Damon I, Hill. Yeah, okay. You can upset people with Damon Hill. I love Damon Hill. Um, but you could sort of argue Jensen Button didn't have that career projection where he was getting better and better and then was gobbled up by the best team. So, you know, Verstappen was was adopted and fought for by the two top teams in Formula One. Mercedes wanted him, Red Bull wanted him. So, you know, Red Bull got him, they nurtured him, and then and then he was there in his prime when the car picked up. Uh, same with Hamilton, Mercedes spotted. He was getting better and better at Mercedes, had a great 2012. Uh, Mercedes looked over and said, we, we know we've got to have him. Yeah. So, you know, that car wasn't handed to Paul DeResta, for example. So, you know, th- I think I think we're getting to something here, Kyle, that... Yes, of course, this car is is dominant and fantastic, but it's also been combined with a potential greatest of all time at his peak. Absolutely. Like, um, I think if you put sort of a less, well, we've seen there is a lesser driver in the other Red Bull and we've seen the results of it. They've managed to 
wobble through to second in the championship, you could almost argue. So I definitely think there is a combination of that. And I think Verstappen at his height is making the Red Bull look maybe a bit more dominant than it actually is. And the gulf between him and his teammate, who was slightly underperforming, added on to what we said earlier with the rest of the other teams underperforming as well, is making this dominance appear a bit more dominant than I think it really is. So the missing factor for me here is simply competition. You have uh, in Max a driver with a tool and he can easily win. Like he can go into every race knowing that he can win the race. If the Ferrari gets ahead of me, I wait for the degradation. If this happens, I wait for that. I have the tool I need to to beat everybody. And I think as a result of that, because I'm going someplace with this, I think we have seen a maturing of his driving style. He has made, you know, as a parent, you say, make better choices, right? He's made better choices. But what we haven't seen is someone with a car that might beat him and he knows might beat him. We haven't had that test yet. That's the one, and this is not to take anything away from where he is now. I think that's the one that everyone really wants to see. That's when we'll know the true measure of mm. what he's gained over these seasons. It's like the Fermi paradox, but for motorsport. Yeah, the Fermi paradox is if there are aliens, where are they? So the F1 equivalent is, well, where's the, where's the championship contender in their prime with a great car? And it's just statistics that at any given time, only one or two teams is near the top of the regulations and at any given time how many of the drivers are have their potential and they're starting out how many are at the end of the, their career and how many are at the peak where they would take advantage of that car because you could almost look at this car and go well if you put a rookie in it with Sergio Perez there's a case to go well maybe they never go for that super pointy dialed in front end for Verstappen they set it up for Perez who's their number one driver and maybe he scrapes a, a championship but there just isn't that close competition in Formula One. So you kind of, you always get this. And we've got um, Mr. Van Bruggen, who is a Dutch Verstappen fan, in our patron Slack chat. And he says it's impressive stats, but everything would be more impressive if other teams had been on the same level. So there's an, an almost a disappointment from some Verstappen fans that him in his prime, in the best car he's probably going to get, doesn't really get to show off like a 2021 style of performance but you you get that in formula one so i don't think verstappen is at all disappointed that he's not getting competition because i would argue that he has he's earned his way to this position like you he's not brilliant and dominating because he's been gifted something he's in this position because he's one of the few drivers who could get to that and so you know i, I can see that kind of disappointment if you feel like his his peak is being wasted well, what I would say is I think I would rather celebrate those seasons coming up to this season than get overly carried away with the statistics from, from this specific season. Well, I think that might get us to the end of Red Bull, you know? I think, I think we might have done it. I think we can move on. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And when I say move on, I mean move on half a step. So we're going to move to the team that will now be known as, or what are they going to be known as, Scuderia Alpha Tauri RB. So there was a lot of speculation that they were going to change their name to Racing Bulls. But I don't think anybody has actually said what this RB at the end of Scuderia Alpha Tauri RB stands for. So that could be Racing Bulls or Red Bull. It's going to be one of those two isn't it? It's not going to be rickshaw boating. It's going to be uh, an indication that they're moving much closer to the parent team. Now, there's been tons of speculation about them now getting more Red Bull parts and them collaborating more. I guess my, my first question to you as a panel is, what is this team for? What's the purpose of it? Why haven't they done this sharing stuff more before if they could do? And, and here's the key one. If they get loads of Red Bull parts and are the second fastest car next season, what would we what would we think of that, Kyle? Um, we've seen teams have close partnerships before previously. Um, I'm not sure we've seen teams quite actually outright owned by another team, and it's quite obvious. Yeah, you know, we've got Mercedes with the Williams hmm. sort of link up, and previously we've had Ferrari and the Sauber and stuff like that. They've been more like sort of friends with benefits as oh, such. God, They've not so been completely, so. completely owned by the other teams. But with Alpha Tauri, they actually have the option. And it was interesting their design choices they made the last year or two. Um because they have they have the ability to take on quite a lot of uh Red Bull parts and namely gearbox and suspension. But Alpha Tauri decided to not take on the Red Bull suspension and gearbox last year because they went for a pull rod at the rear. And I believe the Red Bull is a push rod, but I think that might be changing now for this year and they might be taking on more Red Bull sort of centric stuff. So this, this is a bit unsure. Um, I'm not sure we've seen this before in Formula One. So in theory, Red Bull don't manage, they don't control Alpha Tauri. Alpha Tauri essentially still Minardi. They work out of Faenza and they're their own stuff. But I think they have an option, they have an option to take a lot of the parts. And also Red Bull will be clearly pulling the management strings behind the scenes for drivers, as we've seen. So they are very much, I think, the closest we have ever come in Formula One to having a de facto B team. And I think it wouldn't be unfair to call them Red Bull's B team at all. So yeah, if they do start becoming very successful next year there's going to be lots and lots and lots of grumblings from the team because I believe there's some teams grumbling about it already. I'm old enough and definitely ugly enough to have been around long enough to have seen this before, as in these claims that they're going to work together more closely. And I'm sure since the Toro Rosso days, there have been times where we've been we've been told that, okay, this next year, 
this is no longer just the junior team, you know, closer partnership, working together, and we're going to see Toro Rosso or whatever the name is at the time move up through the grid. And I just don't believe it because it, it's not... Even if you gave them a Red Bull, if you gave Alpha Tauri the exact car that Red Bull have, I think they're still finishing behind with their with their current driver lineup and the Ooh. team running the car and the team setting up the car. I think they're finishing behind Mercedes and Ferrari and potentially McLaren. I don't think uh, having the fastest car isn't everything. I think you have to execute and Why, uh, and they're not they're not even going to have the exact same car. That is such a big shout, Matt. What do you think? Uh, well, I I have to agree. Wow. Okay. I, I, I have to agree. Uh, they made a big step with their floor. They're obviously moving to be able to take as many parts from the big team, Red Bull, as possible. Haas do this. Williams does a lot of this. This is not an unknown thing as a midfield team. You take your basic direction from the power unit supplier and you buy all the parts you can because it's cheaper to let them design them. And then you overlay your own aerodynamics on top of that. And it makes for some inefficiencies, which is why we won't see them competing with the Ferraris and the Mercedes and potentially the McLarens. Uh, but where the shakeup could come is from, say, the Alpines from like sixth to eighth. They could make a very big step. They, they seem to be showing flashes of that at the end of the season. So, so far, n there's no problem with anything they're doing. What makes it look suspicious is the funding from the teams comes from the same parent corporation whereas with Haas and the other teams they're separate corporate entities and I think that's a lot of what has got people upset about this because they're presuming there will be untowards communication of information in both directions which well you know wouldn't be the first time in Formula One now would it just to briefly circle back to the difference in performance over a season that it makes with different teams running yeah. effectively yes, the same car. Do. Yeah. Can we, we need to do an episode at some point about cars, which may well have been championship contenders that, that we just didn't, we didn't know because they <laughs> yeah. didn't have the right drivers in or whatever. Yeah. You know, was there a, was there a racing point that Perez was finishing fifth or sixth, but if Verstappen had been in that, it would have been winning. For example, think you know, you know you what I'm talking to, about. So, I, had, I hadn't had enough, and uh, you had to just take one more dig. But I mean, I think the best modern example is the 2017 Ferrari. I think that was easily a championship winning car. Uh, yeah, that, uh, was it 2012 or 2013 as well? Oh, with uh, with um, Alonso, it was 2012, 2013. They the got Red stuck Bull behind Petrov, Remember yeah. in the last yeah. race. But, I'm talking about, I mean, like midfield cars, cars that oh. the, the design team will have had no kudos for, uh, oh. but actually they did a really good job, but uh, okay. we just didn't know about it at all. Okay, so let's put Hulkenberg in Alonso's seat, for example, this season, or Magnussen, maybe that might be a better example, current form this season, Magnussen in with Lance Stroll, uh, that Aston Martin looks like it was absolutely nowhere, when in fact two Alonzos might have made it p2 in the constructors championships it's a fantastic point uh we we just don't know those cars that were kind of not given the drivers they deserve i'll probably say uh the, you know maybe the 2008 uh ferrari as well sorry it just feels Agreed. like I'm, it feels like i'm picking on ferrari because i am 
Uh, I'll throw the 1995 Ferrari in with that. Oh that my god! Matter actually wow. as well because Schumacher tested it and said I would I would have won the championship in this car. <laughs> okay. It's just, your drivers just weren't very good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I trust uh, Josh Schumacher's opinion on that. I guess. Um, so, but I, I'm I am surprised though at the claim that they wouldn't you know be right up there with the same car operationally. Um, so there's a few things there. You're talking about the whole team, the whole personnel that's there on a race weekend trying to dial it in. Um, the strategists to a lesser extent but really the the drivers is the one that we can have the most input on and there's going to be a lot of people upset and i'll take it personally because i'm a, I'm a yuki fan I'm, I'm pushing for yuki to make it all the way to the top um and there's loads of daniel ricardo fans as well so like are you are you doubting that driver lineup if you look at the performance this season forgetting lawson for a second i mean sonoda was easily faster on race pace than than ricardo's stunted return i don't know if I quite buy into the Ricardo redemption, even, even as in is now level with Sonoda roughly no, or behind, just behind him. I don't see how you go from being so far off of Norris in this generation of cars, you know, this, this type of car. If we had a complete rules reset since then, then maybe this would be different, but it's the same, same mm. kind of car that he was miles off Norris in. And then, you know, one year later, year and a bit with some time out, you're, you're kind of, oh, no, it's okay now. I'm back to where I was before because Red Bull have rebuilt me in the simulator. I just don't really buy into that. So if you take, if you were to presume, and this might be wrong, that Mm -hmm. Ricardo's level is the level he showed against Norris, which was a long way behind Norris, which is probably roughly, that still looks about right. If he's just behind Sonoda, then that, and that would be probably a long way behind Norris if you're putting everyone on the same kind of scale. Um, Then, then yeah, I do, I kind of do stand by the, fact that the drivers would be the main thing if they had you know a exactly, red bull painted red bull, differently yeah. that would stop it from being at at the very front um and but you're right though it's the whole team you won't have the best engineers in every role available to the red bull organization working at that team otherwise would they? they'd, they'd be, be a red bull. Yeah, to the other yeah, team yeah. exactly well, well I, I would first like to remind everyone that before we had a green Red Bull from Aston, we had a pink Mercedes from Aston, and they failed to beat all of the top teams, despite actually having been found to have directly copied some of Mercedes stuff uh, incorrectly, I'll use that word. Um, and, and so I, I think off the bat, uh, if we're going to talk about drivers, the thing that I want to be, the thing that I want to bring up about Yuki and Ricardo is they are actually uh, pretty evenly matched in terms of points per finished race. Ricardo's a little bit ahead of him, but Yuki runs him very, very close. And given uh, Ricardo's experience level and obvious talent, I think that's that's a real plus for Yuki, who's still on the rookie side of things in my estimation. And the fact that Ricardo went out with the injury and he had multiple rotating teammates means that the development of that car was very much on his shoulders and the car got better. So if you're a Yuki fan, I think there's a lot to take away. And the the only minor concern is that that Ricardo did on a points per finished race, which is a pretty weird statistic that I invented because I, you know, was tired of all the regular ones. But on a points per finished race, um, Ricardo was slightly ahead of him. So that's going to be a real battle to watch next season, Yuki versus Ricardo, because they seem to be as evenly matched as the Ocon Gasly and the Sainz Leclerc points were. 
I actually don't think that was a stellar season for Yuki. Like I'm a Yuki fan. I want to see him do well. But the fact that when Lawson came in, very inexperienced and like Yuki did, you expect Yuki to spank him and get all and be all over the top of him. And he wasn't at all, really. Like Lawson come in and did a very, very, very solid job. And as Brad points out, you know, I think this is not peak or prime Daniel Ricardo as well coming in and they've been very very close so I actually think Lawson coming in Yuki uh, it didn't reflect too well on Yuki and I think that was a bit of a wake-up call for him and he did seem to have a stronger second half of the season so I think for Yuki to stay in Formula One if I was a team boss I'd be expecting fairly big things things from him next year so it'll be quite interesting and uh, I agree with Brad and Matt I, I, I don't think I think we've seen the days of peak Daniel Ricciardo unfortunately like I'd like he didn't do as well as I thought he would when he come back. And yeah, I don't really buy his claims. He also said in his like first lap in the Red Bull car, the RB19 we did at Silverstone, where he would have been like a tenth or two off pole, which I'm just like, wow, okay, that's, that's, you know, yeah, that's, that's, a, a, claim. that's, that's, a, that's a lie. That's, that's yeah. just silly. Okay. Yeah. So um, I just want to clarify something. Peter in our patron live Slack chat is, um, is saying, well, you know, Ricardo had better race pace than Sonoda, but qualifying let him down. So when I talk about the race pace, I'm I'm always the thing I'm looking for is is there a time that they're on a comparable stint in a comparable situation? So are they both on the mediums in a race? Uh, and uh, and I, and I, you know, you're looking at who's dropping off, whose pace drops off, who can stick with the pace that they were they were managing at, and just whenever I spotted that, and and for sure I'm not staring at the live timings constantly. Whenever I've looked at that, because I've been curious, I've not seen Ricardo able to be on the same race pace as Sonoda, which is a little bit either worrying for Ricardo or great news for Sonoda. But and like Brad said, you just, you know, you can't tell. You might put Verstappen and Hamilton in there and then that car was P4 in the championship. I mean, there's a lot that race pace won't tell you because there's so many factors, especially in this particular set of regulations that go into why someone is faster and why someone isn't faster. Have you got a two or three second gap to the person ahead of you? You might be faster than your teammate who's stuck a second behind 10 cars and is suffering from overheating. Did they not get your brakes right, et cetera, and mm-hmm. so on. Yeah, but my, reasons- my snapshot that I'm pointing yeah. out suits my narrative, and I think that's, that's the most important factor. Well... It- it is, but my point being, I think race pace can be a mistaken thing to fixate on when you're talking about how drivers do in races. One of the things I like about looking at the points and looking at them in an abstract way is it's sort of a total overall measure of how a driver gets from the start of a race to the end of a race. And if you're looking at the teammate, then you know they had roughly comparable tools. Mm. And so what I see is similar performance between Yuki. And Ricardo. Now, granted, we don't necessarily have the Ricardo of years and years ago, but he's still a pretty good racer and a pretty good driver. And clearly, in this car, has something that gives him the touch, the feel that lets him drive more, much more to his liking than, say, the McLaren did, which sort of wrecked his reputation. But he's still the same driver he was before he went there. So. I don't know. I see. I, I'm looking at the silver lining here for Yuki, and I'm saying seeing him being in the ballpark with Ricardo is a good thing for him yeah, at his yes. early stage of development. Yeah, and it's probably good for him. He, he would have been scared seeing Lawson come in and go. Whoa. The thing with Lawson is he seemed to just get everything right. So 
He he just seemed to, you know, yeah. and, and when he didn't get something wrong, like he got a slightly bad getaway at one race, he's torturing himself for the next two weeks to the point that the race engineer was like, see, see, Liam, that was better, wasn't it? You did it. And so, you know, he just seemed to operationally get everything right. Yeah, but I mean, if I look at, I'm looking at Lawson's record right now. He scored two points in Singapore. He scored no points in any other race. Maybe he finished ahead of Yuki. I don't even care. But if I look at Yuki's across the season performance, he scored 14 points across a whole season in a car that, for most of it, wasn't capable of scoring very many points. And there was a lot of 11th places in that as well. So I'm just getting back to Alpha Tauri. There was a Formula1news.co.uk I was reading, and this is an interview with Eggington. And he said, whilst AlphaTauri has always had close technical ties with Red Bull, Eggington believes that the increased reporting on their collaboration is a result of the sister team's ongoing challenges, i.e. not doing very well. He emphasised, this was the interesting bit, he emphasised that AlphaTauri has not been controlled entirely by Red Bull and has always had the autonomy to assess which parts to utilise which heavily implies that they are controlled quite a bit by Red Bull, which I don't think is controversial. Like you see Marco speaking to the junior drivers on the grid, issuing their instructions. I'm like, why now? Why now are they going to go to this reported extra collaboration? Why, Why have they been left languishing for several seasons and now they want to get them up the grid? I would simply put it down to the change in Red Bull corporate structure. Before, you had Dietrich Mateschitz making the decisions independently, and what he wanted was two real race teams, one to develop junior drivers and one to be a senior team and chase championships. And he felt that a degree, or at least from looking at how it was put together, he felt a degree of autonomy, a fairly large degree of autonomy, was warranted. But now you have a corporation, much more corporate in structure, making these decisions. And what they want to see is monetary and financial efficiencies. In other words, if we're going to spend money on this team, how do we spend as little as possible and have it be as successful as possible, which is, I think, a different metric to what it had previously been run for. And this is part of why we're seeing it. But, you know, I will spanners put it to you that the Marco thing is pretty interesting and that he very clearly consults with both team. Mm. And well, you know, that that is a conduit potentially and and one that you might ask, you know, interesting questions about in terms of his role especially with the drivers at Alpha Tower. But he's not an employee apparently. <laughs> yeah, he's not. Yeah, he's <laughs> so not an employee. He can, he can do what he likes between <laughs> Okay, so uh, the the suspicion is always going to be there that Alpha, Alpha Tower have a whole nother set of resources, Brad. Like, how sure are we that Red Bull don't benefit? Like, they must benefit from having that team. Otherwise, why would they have it? They spend all that money just to have their drivers have somewhere to practice? Is it just a team to practice at all that effort for that? Sure, in a cost cap era, you have to question, is there really no way, like at the at the Red Bull Christmas gathering, they're not going to have a few sherbets and start talking about aerodynamics? scratching in the sand little aerodynamic graphs with a stick so i don't want to be accused of of conspiracy oh that's what i was going for i was luring (laughs) you in i thought he's had enough beers i can lure him into conspiracy talk 
Um, all I will say is, and I, I think this is fact, so if I'm wrong, then you can just discount this entirely because it's not facts. But I'm pretty sure <laughs> they share wind tunnel time at Red Bull's wind tunnel uh, just north of Bedford. Um, yeah. is, that may or may not be true. But I we think, have uh, spoken to employees that say it's very segregated. You have to log out str- of one yeah. and then log into another. And... Yeah. No, I I haven't. I haven't I haven't seen that process. Okay, so okay. I don't know exactly how that is. And and like you said, I mean, are they? Do they have to sit on separate sides of the canteen <laughs> when they're both at the wind tunnel yeah. lunch? Yeah. Like, just how much? I mean, short of physically handing someone a document which has lots of, um, you know, mm. serial numbers on that can be very clearly traced back to a thing. Like, where? What is the line yeah. of? information transfer i I don't know i mean and i don't want to be someone who's going i'm just asking questions because that isn't (laughs) that's what what flat earthers do that's what you do yeah so i don't want to be like that um but i also i haven't i haven't had it proven to me to a sufficient extent that i'm super confident that there isn't any transfer particularly when it comes to this team (laughs) like this team it's not beneath this particular team to stretch the regulations as far as they go and what i'm and my point here is if there is no absolutely clear regulation about the canteen can you sit next to someone and have a loud conversation well we're not using the same wind you know we're not we're separately logged into the wind tunnel system but when we walk in the hallway we chat loudly and the other guys in it like where is the limit and i think red bull would be a team which would very strongly argue well if it's not if it's not in black and white in the regs then why can't we do this? Yeah, of course we were doing this because it didn't say we couldn't. And we're all sat here thinking, oh no, they're, they're being really like, being really strict about it and there's no way they would ever do anything naughty. Like, I just don't believe sports teams are like that. Yeah, so, especially F1 so teams. When you, yeah, and especially F1 teams that are not just like related, but are part of the same entity, you know, really owned by the same company and working in same facilities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that's that's my view. You can probably... Um, understand where I'm going with that. So I I believe there is very very tight regulation of wind tunnel time. I want to know the canteen thing. CFD <laughs> time. I'm getting to it. And and specifically the transfer of that kind of information. I, I'm pretty sure there's very black and white lines in the regulations about what you're allowed to share and what you're not allowed to share. And I believe a lot of these lines came about because of the entry of Haas into the sport when there was no regulations for Haas until they actually had a car on the grid. And so they basically did this with Ferrari. Ferrari sent a bunch of engineers. They used the Haas full-size wind tunnel. They sent a bunch of parts. No gardening leave as well. Yeah. yeah, and, And the great news was it gave us a brand new team that was competitive in the midfield P5, P4, until the aero regulations changed. But subsequent to that, they updated a lot of stuff. And I, and I know from talking to people who do the software that it's incredibly tightly controlled, that kind of information. But what's not controlled is information that third parties have access to, like sponsors. For example, there are always ways for this knowledge to flow between teams. And I would say right now that if you see Alpha Tauri up in third place, then then you're going to guess there's perhaps a leak somewhere. Okay, that's quick. just my personal gauge. Here's the thing, Carl. 
I want to focus in on the fact that it's a cost cap era. So Ferrari, for Ferrari, yes, they might have had some commercial partnerships or whatever, but Ferrari could still spend as much as they, they want. You know, there's a an alleged nominal cost cap at the moment. So this this is probably why the other teams are having a grumble at the moment. Yeah. So you could argue that AT, Red Bull could use AT to get around some of their cost cap measures uh that's pretty hard back to the Haas thing like within within Haas there were rumors of Ferrari employees quite literally just changing shirts and uniforms <laughs> into Haas shirts yeah. and going in and doing stuff like this that was a bit more of a gray area so um you know the last couple of years AT have been relatively quite independent on an engineering side purely based on when we went to this 22 regulation concept change they they actually went against Red Bull. They didn't take, they had to make their own gearbox mountings for them because they went for a completely different rear suspension layout. So that just shows they have, they have a degree of engineering um, independence, but I feel that that will be less independent moving forward and put yourselves into Red Bull shoes. If you have the opportunity to do this and there's a bit of a gray area and there's something to exploit as Formula One, you can't blame them for exploring the avenues and how to sort of go there. Is it ethical? Yeah, maybe not. Is it is it explicitly stated in the rules you yeah, can't do this? And this if is it. not, then then you will prize and you will try to find a way. It's just it's just the nature of Formula One. But the other teams, if I was another team boss, I yeah, I'd be feeling quite quite uncomfortable with it and I would be doing a Brad maybe and thing and having many loaded questions <laughs> <laughs> and asking yeah. them about this to try and point it out. But I think like with with you know the Brad's point about the the pushing the limit, this is you could actually spin that as a positive. Where Red Bull are notorious for finding the letter of the law and not like the spirit of the law. And you sometimes wonder, like, if Mercedes are like, oh, we could do that thing. No, but that doesn't seem fair. No, you're absolutely correct. Then they share a cucumber sandwich. So, first thing, the the canteen conversation. I'm seeing in the chat people saying it's it's probably not enough to make a championship winning car. My suggestion was purely just that it's, you know, Oh yeah, I'll have the mashed potato. Oh yeah. That when we, when we tried the narrower thingamy jiggy bill, oh, I just, just didn't work very well. Oh, Oh, there's a, there's an alpha towery person. Oh, stood they could be me. even oh, more. Sorry, I didn't notice. They could be even more yeah. clandestine. They could be like, Oh, um, those mashed potatoes look a little wide. I prefer them to be a little narrower towards the rear of my plate. You people shaping their parsnips, <laughs> sculpting them. Um, That's the one. What, what was the last thing you just said, Spanners, that I was actually responding to? Oh, uh, about the the pushing to the the letter of the law rather than this a mythical sporting spirit. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm not saying this is uh, this is like uh, necessarily a bad thing because I just think teams will always do this. So maybe it's just better if if all of them are super you know, on the edge, same with all the regulations. If everybody is taking the mickey to a certain extent, then maybe that's fairer than assuming the others are going to not take the mickey. Um, So, uh, yeah, I I agree with you. That's Alpha Towery. Okay, so I actually think we've got time to spend a little bit of time on Alpine, and then that just leaves us with McLaren that we'll get to uh, at, at some point. And in the new year. So it's coming up to Christmas. So I'll tell you what we've got for your Christmas Day and New Year's Day. But I would like to reiterate that if you're listening to us in the winter, you might think that we're doing a good job. So there's a couple of ways you can support us. Our bread and butter really is our patrons. And that's the reason we can 
plan uh, a year ahead. And I have to say 2023, it was the first season where at the start of the season, I went, we, we can definitely do this towards the end of the season. We're going to survive the season without me and Matt having to prioritize other things. And we're in a really healthy state and I would love to keep that going. Um, if you think we're worth a, a micro payment per month, it's patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Every new patron makes my heart go and, and helps me relax a little bit. Patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Or if you want to just give us a pat on the head for a job well done, you can go to our, our tip jar, which is missedapexpodcast.com forward slash tip jar. And there's a link to both of these in your show notes below. And also, uh, what else would I want to say? Oh, uh, oh yes, Christmas content. So this is your fault for being so enthusiastic about this. Chris Stevens and Chris Catman Turner are going to join me for a pre-recorded, to come out on Christmas Day, Corner Names uh, podcast. Matt, you can come on that as well if you want to talk about Corner Names. <laughs> I would love to talk about the numbers that all corners should be called by. Oh, yes. my good. So, yeah, do you know what? I think you can, just, you can just be the curmudgeon of the show and just sit I there. Will. And, so I will. I love that. Every time, like, someone goes, okay, so if we, if we talk about Stowe, and you can be like, turn 11. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Sandoval, turn one. You can just grumpily say the, the turn number every single time um but uh, chris and chris will do that but also with these winter segments i want to interview them for five to ten minutes as well so you can get to know them because they're really great people chris has done a lot of, uh, of commentary this year he's gone freelance and catman is a vet so he spends a lot of time uh you know i guess helping animals and stuff but we'll find out and then for new year's day i'm going to be talking to jono about how to improve and make the World Constructors' Championship more important. So lots of stuff like that coming up. Okay, Matt, we've yes. got about 10 minutes on Alpine. All they right. were meant to be the big French explosion, two French drivers. They were going to go charging in with the tricolor and dominate the world as a works team, and it just isn't happening, and, and, it, and it hasn't happened. How do you see their season? Um... Okay, this might shock you, because there's so many ways you could look at what they did and be thoroughly, utterly disappointed, and I think correctly so. I mean, should we start with the number of people they fired? Should we start with the number of DNFs oh, they had? It was, um, it's, it's, the, it's the lack of stability at the top has been one of the most shocking things. But one of the most interesting things, I think, to come out of it, and I believe these are comments Pat Fry made, was that when... It came time for the, I'm going to use the analogy, rubber to meet the road. The corporate leadership at Renault was not willing to commit to what was necessary to make that next step. And I'm going to take Pat Fry at his word, because he's now at Williams and probably much happier. But given that, if I look at their results, I think, wow, I'm surprised they did that well. And yeah, that's a bit of a lowering of the bar. The other thing I have brought up many times, and I can't wait for Kyle to get into this, is the power unit deficit, because Renault only has themselves as a customer. They lack the data, and they have said, and I think the teams generally agree, they're two to three, um, 20 to 30 horsepower down, two to three tenths a lap down on any other power unit. And if you take that into account as well, well, then they actually kind of had a pretty impressive season, given all that was working against them. Yeah. Um, well, you can say things working against them, their power unit, it's their own doing. 
yeah, pretty well, much. It's nothing I saw really working against them as such. But um, one thing I thought was really interesting with Alpine were the two drivers were incredibly closely matched and probably one of the closest matches on the field. But for the actual team itself, that was abysmal, really. That was absolutely terrible. That was, uh, I think, the epitome of a flaccid season. They didn't do... They didn't, they didn't move forward. They didn't do anything that they've said they've been doing. I remember sitting on this show since in 2018, trying to big Renault up, wearing a Renault shirt, saying they've got their five-year communist sounding yeah. plan. It's oh all going to be good. Then they've got their star driver. And it's not happened, has it? It is absolutely not happened. And the power unit sort of problem is, is their own. Hence, they don't have any customers because nobody really wants that power unit. They could have now... They've been lobbying to maybe see if they're going to be allowed to catch up. And I think that's all kind of fallen on on sort of deaf ears, really. And now they're kind of looking within themselves. With the turmoil up at the top of the team, they've been going for the Ferrari guillotine management style, it would seem, of just getting rid of people. Um, I'd be amazed if they're on the grid in a couple of years. Like if you were the, you know, if you were holding the purse strings and you're looking at them being they have they have been perennial underachievers since they've been in that you know this is a works team this is an integrated works team that do their own power unit and chassis albeit in two separate different facilities and factories in two different countries but this is like a we should be looking at them like a mercedes or a ferrari or like a red bull or mclaren and they're just simply not at that level and i don't think they're going to have the ability to be at that level in the next couple of years which is a shame because i think they've got two great drivers Oh, I would agree with you. Actually, they do. One of the interesting... Like, <laughs> Brad's you, not going to agree. <laughs> uh, Brad doesn't have to agree. He can He can be wrong about everything, right, Kyle? Yes, every time. The thing that I wanted to bring up, what's interesting is this mechanism for balancing the horsepower, balancing the power of the engines, has, it has been an ongoing technical discussion with talk of a specific rule being implemented for the next power units, as essentially a way to have uh, an agreed upon number where if you're below it, you're given some freedom in your architecture to catch up to the other uh, power unit manufacturers. But I do see this as being the kind of thing where arguing about the correct way to do it is going to be how they keep it from happening at all because there's going to be endless arguments about the correct way to test the power of these things especially with the energy component uh the electrical energy component as well makes it very very challenging mm. to get an accurate number and so they're going to use this to delay and deny while sort of accepting the basic premise that well yeah once again Renault has showed up with a slightly underpowered engine and it would probably be in everybody's best interest to let them fix it if we could only agree on a way to do it that we didn't think gave somebody else an advantage right. the engine the engine's clearly not there the management is just a revolving door yeah, there's no stability is, yeah. there's no nobody nobody consistent there now steering yeah. the ship. where's the zach brown where's the toto wolf the horner the drivers are fine that's you know they both of them i think are proven not to be elite but they're both like fine I, I think of the two potentially in the right scenario gasly could show a bit more than maybe he's has shown but calm down but man. that's okay. that's it ocon had long enough against perez and didn't dominate him and we know perez's level and that's a, that's in a car that was i think quite neutral anyway uh, back to the alpine 
they I was worried when Renault downgraded it to Alpine. And I say downgraded because Alpine is a really small volume car brand. It was it was always going to be less important that it succeeded under the Alpine name. It it's not Renault's bread and butter. You know, if if the Alpine brand folds, then Renault doesn't fold. But it was much more important when it was the factory the big factory brand. So it seemed like to me they were starting to wind down the importance the moment it changed blue. And the budget isn't they they're not funding it enough. Are they to, not are they not maxing out the cost cap? I actually that's a that's a really good question. Me uh, from what I heard the team is underfunded, but I don't have figures. So, you know, I'm, I'll I'll leave someone to correct me on that. But basically, I can't see any positive signs. I, the only positive I can see is that Gasly and Ocon really, really want to do well. That's kind of it. Like, and, and maybe there's some core experienced people who have been at the team a long time that are actually very, very good at their job. And I just don't see any potential for it to move higher than it currently is. And that's my worry with Alpine. Well, I think the power unit is, is a very big issue. Uh, but in terms of positive sign for them, Matt Harmon, uh, who who has been there for a while and is behind, I think, a lot of the design genius at Alpine. You say, wait, design genius. Well, well, guess where the first water slides were? They weren't on Aston. They were on Alpine. There's about three or four design features that have come from Alpine first and made it onto all of the other teams. Yeah, but Minard, the, Minardi occasionally had something which was copied, but they're still <laughs> rubbish. Okay, so but, but this is the thing. Alpine shouldn't be rubbish. They, they've got the core ingredients of a great race team. And are they lacking like a James Vowles to, to come in and do the, the steadying of the, the ship kind of thing? Because I, I think they're in real trouble for next season because there are other teams that have got their act together. Look at Alpha Tauri. You know, we've been talking about the step they might make. They're not going to catch the front three. McLaren seem completely on it. Aston Martin have really upped their game everywhere. How many teams have I just mentioned? Six. So Alpine are, in da- uh, are staring down the barrel of seventh. Right now, the problem for Alpine is that their best tracks are going to be the least power-sensitive tracks, and there's not a whole bunch of them. But if I look at their total points scored, if I look at where they scored, they were nowhere near the top teams. But all the teams below them were nowhere near them. So I, I don't take it as a given that they will be chased down for, what is it, sixth place that they lived in automatically. It's going to take one of the teams, Alpha Tower, well, you could say buying all the Red Bull stuff and switching to their basic concept yeah, might I give suppose. them that. They are the ones who could have the support. But they might be the only ones. No other team really came close to them. They lived in their own universe. And the thing that's interesting about them, again, is from the aerodynamic design point of view, they do have some consistency and they have a a proven record. Because think about how much better they have to be because they don't have the same power as the other teams by like a lot. I mean, we could look at, you know, I'm going to mention Ocon at Monaco. Rain, Monaco, least power-sensitive circuit at all. They have a car that potentially could compete on an aerodynamic level with some of the bigger teams. They just don't have the rest of the stuff. And as far as funding goes, it's not funding to the cost cap because those are fixed. It's the money that gets spent outside of it on the tools, the CapEx, and the stuff like that. I think that's where they're behind, and that's where 
Renault have been, well, not willing to commit the necessary funds to catch them up. Yeah, I would love to know as well. I would love to know, you know, in the boardroom at the beginning of the season, what is the what's the aim? What's the target? So are they going into 2024 and they say, right, we we must now we have to break into the top three? Because I think that is probably what it was under a beatable as, as Renault. And that's the kind of pressure they were, were under. And eventually, I, I suppose, why he would have moved on. Uh, but are Alpine under that same kind of pressure. So I, I think I think maybe from the outside, we're treating them like they should be like Renault, Mercedes and Ferrari. But internally, is that the ambition they set? So for them finishing fifth, they, they might have patted themselves on the back and go, well, good. With the resources that we've set ourselves in our targets, that's that's where we're at. And then... So we wouldn't be critical of, of Haas finishing fifth. We wouldn't be critical of Sauber finishing fifth. So are, are we just, you know, angling our expectations wrong, Kyle? Uh, no, because this, as far as my understanding is, and in my own head, this is this is essentially Renault. It's just been rebranded as Alpine. The money's... This is essentially a full factory effort from Renault, just rebranded under Alpine. They might have caught it out so... so so yeah, I think fifth place or fifth or sixth in the constructors is is bad. You know, you can't be you you can't be seen to be a full factory effort and finishing that that far down. I think their results have been woeful, considering for the stature that they should have, and we should very much expect more from them. That's just my opinion, but I but I think they've been terrible from where they are. They are Renault in my eyes. Okay, I'm I'm trying to look for for the positive, and Kyle, you've been the most positive about the Enstone outfit, and Matt is obviously has been very positive uh, about them. So, what, what's the silver lining? What what gets them over some kind of threshold critically over the next few years? Is there is there anything where you go? Do you know, actually, 2026. <laughs> Kyle just gave us gave me a look that implies no. <laughs> um, they need to. They need to be snaffling the odd opportunistic race win and they need to be in the top three. They need to be basically challenging McLaren, Ferrari and Mercedes, in my opinion, to be deemed a success. But I, I genuinely don't think they'll be able to get near that. Do you think Andretti might buy them? Do you think you know, the management are just like, they've just noped out and they did have a potential engine deal with Andretti on the cards. So do you think if, um, if it's a solid no yeah. from getting in, to F1 on you know, as an 11th team that yeah, they actually ooh. just make an offer for that team. They're in the right country. You know, they're, they're in the heart of F1 and Enstone, lovely place in the Cotswolds. Um, yeah, good, good place to have your, your Andretti basis. The Cotswolds is lovely. You know, one thing we're not talking about, Alpine's new lovely investor group with hundreds of millions of dollars. With the sports and people. Reynolds yeah. And Wrexham, let's not forget, they did like, have some success with that so you know like i, I had forgotten about that yeah but, good but point your, your, your mention of that i was suddenly like well would andretti buy it well I'm, I'm like would would that investor group sell it so soon i'm not sure they would so do you reckon there's going to be some a netflix documentary like the, the only way is alpine or something like welcome that? to endstone welcome to endstone i love that yeah yeah alpine I, sure I, I cannot wait but i it's going to be hard to move them I could see them moving a step down, but in the same general points category, with AlphaTauri coming on with all the help from Red Bull, which is allowed and certainly entirely legal, and our lawyers have informed us allegedly should be used here somewhere. Mm. But it's going to be hard for them in their current setup to make much forward progress. Until they get the engine fixed, I think they're, they're in a very tough place. Well, they could just change their name to be more successful, to give them a kick to improve their no stakes 
We, we can't that's, leave, that's, can we? we? That's a sauce, right? Tell me that's a sauce. We can't leave without talking about the official team names. But before we do, um, I just want to refer you to these two gentlemen here. You follow me and Matt already. Uh, Brad's actually disappeared, making our screen look weird. But Kyle, the, the people can see half of you. So uh, <laughs> how, how are you getting on with the MotoGP podcast? Uh, Miss Apex MotoGP. And have you got any off-season content planned? Yes, that's been going very well. Thank you. Um, we do have a few off-season content shows planned where we could be doing a bit of a testing review and looking forward to the uh, to the new to the new season coming up. That should be cool. with you sometime in January. So I've been very much enjoying that, and I will employ you all. This will be a great season to get into MotoGP, and you can have something else to listen to on a Tuesday morning commute rather than a Monday morning commute. Oh well, there you go. Um, and go and check out the the last episode where they basically did a bit of a season wrap up as as well as the um, as well as the race review as well. Kyle's the host, and he's fine. Um, has Brad gone? <laughs> have we lost Brad? Have we got his audio? No, I think we've lost him, uh, but go and check out his stuff. His links will all be in the show notes below. He's got a pretty good YouTube channel, and um, I think he's going to be doing a, a bit of a step up in his driver coaching. So if you're interested in getting good in a car or on a, a sim or in a go-kart, Brad is definitely the person to speak to. Uh, since he's not here, is now the time to point out that both Alpine drivers have actually won races, while Norris <laughs> still hasn't. <laughs> no, you should have picked that fight with him uh, when he was here. But look, we've got loads of off-season time. Um, so when I said we were going to do the Christmas content with Chris and Chris, and then with Jono, the next one we're going to line up is Brad, who's going to do a bit of a driving masterclass. So we'll talk about a bit about basic driving skills, and those are always fantastic episodes. But uh, Kyle... Kick steak F1 team. Steak Ugh. F1 team kick Sauber is the the new team of what was Alfa Romeo F1 team kick. Ugh. That naming is a <laughs> It's atrocious. Yeah, it's, it's an absolute catastrophe. It's a, <laughs> like what an awful, awful naming convention. I never bought into Alfa Romeo, even though I was an Alfa Romeo driver at the time. I had my beautiful 159. And when they changed that, yes. but it didn't make me think any more of like, oh, look at that. I'm driving a Formula One manufacturer because Alfa Romeo, Sauber were as more out about as Alfa Romeo as FedEx were federal. It's just a title sponsorship naming convention. They are Sauber. They've always been Sauber and they will continue to be Sauber. And I refuse. I'm not going to call them stake, kick, team, whatever they're called. Like, yeah, they're Sauber. I, I actually, I slightly disagree with this. So my, my basic premise is the fact that it, they were called Alfa Romeo F1 team, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now they're called Stake F1 team, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I really do believe that the team name is Stake F1. And, and if it isn't, basically Sauber have just got the naming conventions wrong. All the other teams are, the thing they are, Racing, so Williams Racing, Red Bull Racing, or with the Italian teams, you've got Scuderia Ferrari, Scuderia Alfa Tauri, mm. and and a lot of the teams are something something F one, yeah. Uh, and if it's a partnership, then if they like Mercedes, say Petronas is an engineering partnership, so it's Mercedes Petronas F one. But here, the naming convention is clear. They've said Stake F one team. The the name of the team, Matt, is Stake F1. And I I will stubbornly call them that all season, except for the few races where their kick F1 team apparently is also going to happen. It's, it's awful. Start to finish. 
it's it's a nightmare for me. Um, you probably don't know this, but over here in the states, what you call HP sauce over there, we call A one sauce. Right? Really? Okay. And we usually put it on steak. Oh, so calling right. something steak F one makes me think it's just something I should be putting on like meat. No, it sounds um, it's steak like a vampire steak. Not um, I know, yeah. I know, and and I, I will hand it to them. At least it's online betting and not cryptocurrency. Oh, no, that's a common uh, misconception. It isn't actually online betting because there was a, a statement Is released. No, no, no. There was a statement released by the, the CEO, Abraham Van Helsing, and he was very clear that it is stake as in it's, it's a very vampire killing heavy <laughs> theme to it. Ah, uh, yes, I see. Weirdly, <laughs> both kick a streaming some sort of streaming edition. They call it streaming edition, but I don't think they mean like teaching little kids how to add numbers together. And um, the the stake company are owned by the same larger Australian yes. corporation, but they are quote unquote independent companies. Yeah. I, I like it that the chassis is called Kick, though. Do you think it gets a little nameplate? Yeah, a little kick on that. I'd kick on it. Yeah. Yeah. So look, and here's where I fundamentally disagree with you, though, Kyle. I don't think there is. So correct. Tell me why I'm wrong. I don't think Sauber exists. Sauber exists to facilitate a team who wants to come in and have an F1 team without doing any of the work. Sauber is the team. And to survive, Sauber have to be some of the biggest sellouts on the grid. So Sauber are like the people who tattoo companies' names on their forehead for a few bob. I, think I would, I think I would do that. They're just going to completely sell out. But it's still Sauber Engineering. Sauber, they're still in Hinwil, I believe, in Switzerland. They're still there. It, it, it is Sauber. It just... You know, do we think that Johnny Marketing, with his money, is going to come in there and roll his sleeves up and jump on a lathe or a mill or something like that to actually start making parts or designing parts? No, that's just like with Alfa Romeo. They didn't touch or get anywhere near the cars. It's a bunch of suits with a load of money. So that's why I'm not buying into it. So I think Sauber very much do uh, still exist, but they just have to pretty much sell their souls <laughs> to survive. But it's still yeah, and, Sauber. And so instead of having 17 drivers... Yeah. No, they just have 37 sponsors. Well, okay, I kind of see that. That was Castleborn, wasn't it? I remember that with the debacle. Yes. All the drivers turning up to race at the same place. Brad, what are we calling them? Forget these losers. You and me. I, Stake I'm F1 gonna team. Up, I'm going to call them whatever they end up coming up on the screen as. <laughs> on yeah, the good point. Broadcast. So I'm going to just be massively rubbish and wait for that. Right now, I'm referring to them as Sauber because I've, I've, I don't even know I don't know what to say about the other. It's just, to me, it's just, I'm with Kyle, it's a sponsor. But if it comes up on the screen as Stake F1, in the, then in the same way that I probably referred to Alfa Romeo as Alfa Romeo, even though they were just a sponsor, then they've bought the right to be to the be name that, of the team. Yeah. That, that's like part of it. So the, whether or not they are just a sponsor, you know, like Kyle says, they're not actually in there doing up the, the nuts and bolts in the factory. But if that's what the team's called officially, then that's what I'll probably refer to it as. But it's only a year or is it is it two years until it's Audi two, come in? Yeah, I think it's only a year. And I think it's, it's two Audi. years. Yeah, I think it's two years. And then Audi take over in the boardroom. What I want to know is, because uh, we were looking into this, because obviously we had our WhatsApp conversation, our civil chat about this well, We had about a two-hour argument about this on uh, WhatsApp. Yeah. And I delved into it a little bit to find out who actually does own the team. And, Ooh, and it's okay. been this investment company um for quite a while so not peter sauber not peter sauber yeah for for quite a long time and even now audi only have a, min a minority share in it does anyone know when audi become the the official team in a couple of years 
are they then is there like a clause where then they buy the majority share or is it still just that they own a small amount and this investment company is the is the main owner uh, that's a really interesting question um i believe that Audi are buying 25% stake per year but what stake. i don't know yeah i know you <laughs> like that right yeah just stick around uh, this is not my first rodeo my friends uh, what I don't know is whether they're buying controlling shares, as in they control it, or whether they're actually buying out Longbow, who I think are the majority owners currently. Because as as if we've learned anything from watching Bernie Eccleston and his companies, is there's a lot of ways to structure stuff so everyone can technically say they're in charge of things. Audi will be doing the day-to-day -day running. They will be putting all the money in. But whether they own it in the sense that Longbow does now... That's an answer that I don't actually have right now. So uh, maybe something to look up for a future show. Okay. You should have just guessed. And then if people complained, just shrugged our shoulders or never responded to those complaints. And like, we will try to respond if you do email us at feedback at mistapex.net. We, we absolutely love hearing from you, especially in the off season when the inbox can be a little quieter and have a bit more time to answer people. Uh, go and follow Brad at Brad Philpop. Brad, whilst you dropped out earlier, I promised everyone early in the new year that we would have a driver skills program, so a Bradley Philpot driver masterclass, and we'll talk about some of the coaching you do as well, and give people an opportunity to uh, to get hired uh, to to get hired to to hire the skills of one of the best coaches the planet's ever seen. And, and just whilst we're doing a bit of shameless promo, <laughs> if my computer works, right. I'm starting or trying to start a YouTube series from Tuesday. Uh, yeah, yeah, hopefully yeah, yeah. running every Tuesday called phil bradpot's rookie reset yes so follow me with my pseudonym trying to make my way through the rookie classes on iRacing without it's kind of just a very light-hearted chilled out live stream where it doesn't matter if it all goes wrong which mm -hmm. it probably will yeah yeah that's more entertaining if it does so catch brad early in the new year as well back in the shed and um, kyle of course we spoke to but go and follow him at kyle power f1 follow matt at matt pt 55 on twitter that's look, the one. You look like you were going to say add a thing and on threads could, or whatever. Yeah, I could. I could. No, not a threads. It's just our upcoming January 7th performance at City Winery with the New York City Scott Orchestra. Please do come and say hi to me there. It's a pretty cool place. I'm sure he'll sneak a link into the show notes as well. But of course, follow me at Spanners Ready. Of course. Of course. Um, and do consider being a, a patron or knocking on our tip jar door, patreon.com forward slash mistapex. There will be some extra content there as well. You'll join our wonderful Slack F1 chat and never hear an ad again on Mistapex podcast. Until we see you next, which I think will be Christmas Day, uh, but not live. We won't be live again until the new year. Until we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. And Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Don't sneak a look at the presents under the Christmas tree and don't panic about Christmas presents because if you haven't got them all, it's too late and everyone will know that you don't love them very much. 
Uh, don't drink too much unless it's Christmas, in which case go nuts. Uh, don't. I'm just trying to. I like the life advice. Don't get drunk twice in one day and then appear on an F1 podcast. Uh, nothing good happens after midnight, Kyle. And um, jet lag can be cured with whiskey, according to me.